Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is part of our COVID-19 online learning series. Uh, Dr. Berg and I are here recording um, for our various courses uh, to kind of be substitutes for lectures or discussions in class. This is going to be for Theology 235, the Romans class. We've now recorded on Romans 11 and Romans 12. And this uh, session will be on Romans chapter 13. So in the last chapter, chapter 12, Paul made his transition to the Christian life, but yet continued to root it in grace. He says, in view of God's mercy or by God's mercy, um, live as living sacrifices. And now he's going to unpack the Christian life some more in chapter uh, 13 first and talking about uh, our dual citizenship as citizens of heaven and citizens here on earth, uh, so the secular kingdom. And then uh, with the uh, the love with which we live toward neighbor in the second half, I'd like to take uh, 13, 1 through 7 first, which is our relationship to the governing authorities. And I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then Mike and I can comment on it, but I want us to to hear it so we can kind of pick on what Paul uh, pick up on. Um, what Paul says is the role of government. Keep in mind, Paul writes as someone who uh, himself had experienced governmental persecution. He writes as a follower of the Savior who was condemned to death under Roman government. Um, if there was anyone who might have had a beef with the Roman government and wanted to call for revolution, um, someone from Israel, uh, which was hostile to Roman occupation to begin with as well, or a Jew who was uh, not from Israel but from Tarsus but would have had hostility uh, likely, um, especially before his conversion to the Roman occupation of Israel. Uh, <clears throat> Paul nevertheless uh, writes and tells us to submit to the governing authorities. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God, attending to this various thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, And there, I think, even comes to mind when they had tried to trap Jesus and they uh, you know, ask if we should be submitting to Caesar uh, and paying taxes to Caesar, the Jews in Israel. This would have been a uh, a packed question because the Roman occupation was not popular. And yet Jesus takes a coin and says, well, whose image is on it? And they say Caesar. And they say, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And Romans 13 really is, is unpacking that. Um, we are to uh, to live as citizens of both realms. But it also gives us a glimpse into what the government should be doing, what its roles are, um, and potentially what its roles are not, right? So maybe we can unpack that a bit, and maybe if we start with 
what does it mean there's a no, no authority except from God? Um, we, we don't necessarily think of, uh, especially as Americans, as our government as representatives of God, perhaps maybe under divine right monarchy. It would have been a lot easier to think about that. Uh, Mike, does this mean that God voted for Trump or Clinton or Obama or Romney? Um, what does it mean that there's, especially within our setting, no authority except from God, that the that the governing authorities, as the ESV has, are ministers of God? We hear that word minister, we usually think church. What is Paul getting at there? Yeah, um, if God didn't, you know, God could take away power from somebody if he so chooses, right? And we see that he d- does that in the Old Testament yeah. often. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, just... F- practically speaking, right? God is in control of everything. And so he's saying, you know, you wouldn't be alive if I chose you not to be alive, let alone be in power, right? And so it's kind of just like a obvious thing, right? What becomes problematic for us is to say, how could you have somebody who is not a follower of Jesus? How could God choose them to be a leader there? Now, remember, you know, when St. Paul... Or even a, a person who's not of the best character right or someone who was very hostile to to the christian uh religion as was the case in rome often. Yeah. yeah so when you're i mean you're talking saint paul i mean only in his memory in his in his history books does he know of jewish independence right um so you're talking it's something quite profound to think about you know from from the time they were carried off in exile of 586 the, the jewish people up until world war ii their land being ruled in kind of a by Jewish people, only by Jewish people, in what we call a theocracy, it's like 125, 150 years, oh. right? And so this is St. Paul to say this when there was a Roman Empire that was at times hostile to other religions, uh, clearly not, you know, the Caesar is clearly not a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about we're getting up to Nero here, right? You know, who is going to use uh, Jews and Christians as a scapegoat. And there's going to be a, a persecution in which most likely Paul loses his life. It's a very profound thing. So we have to understand that, uh, that God rules all for sure. One God, one rule. But from our point of view, that, that he has two realms, right? Or two kingdoms that when he rules his kingdom of believers, we may at times equate that really with the church, all believers everywhere of all time, that he has another realm where he is going to rule, and we may call it a secular realm, and certainly he is in control of that. Now, are there going to be uh, screw-ups in that? Just like there is in the church, right? He, he look, as we say, look what he's got to deal with, right? When you have lame horses, you have to ride lame horses. So that doesn't mean that God is still not going to do good in the civic realm through people that maybe even have not even known him or even hostile to his message. And so it, it very much is a not completely equated with the law, but there is something to, to think about with the secular realm, the law, he, there, to keep order, right? To punish the wicked. 
And the church, that's not the church's job. This is the secular job. So it actually kind of makes sense when you think about it that it doesn't really matter if it's Christian or not because the goal there is a natural law order or uh, a civic order kind of thing. And so you don't need the gospel for that, right? right? And so uh, he can do that. He has to do that because, well, there are unbelievers in the world, and that does not mitigate what he does with the church. And I, we'll get to that later, I'm sure, with, to kind of develop the two kingdoms more. And if you mix the two kingdoms, finally you're going to miss, mix law and gospel. Yeah, and so when we think of God's gracious ruling in Christ, that's going to take place in the church. Um, so we think of the church especially as a second and third article place, if we're thinking of the creed, um, that there, Christ's redemption is proclaimed and we're brought to faith by the Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me, my allergies drive me nuts. The, um, the state is kind of the first article realm. Uh, the state is there to help God uh, provide for us through vocations, um, house and home and food and clothing, um, safety to be able to, uh, to interact with our neighbor, um, to even hear the gospel. And so one of the things he sets forward then is the basic role of the, the state is to reward good and punish evil. Now, no state does this perfectly. Um, but this is the end goal that a state ought to have from a biblical perspective. Notice, too, Paul is not trying to make the state Christian. Right? So Mike unpacked this in a very helpful way. He's saying the Roman state that already exists, that governs based on natural law and reason, <clears throat> submit to this state. Um, but that being said, the basic role of the state that he sets forward, the basic pattern for government, whatever form of government it, it might be, <clears throat> is to reward good and punish evil. And so, for instance, uh, a state might offer tax uh, um, incentives for people who are doing good. Uh, the state might have fines for people who are doing ill. The state might say, um, you know, if you have children, you can deduct them from your tax code because those are future taxpayers and <laughs> we have an investment in them. The state might say, uh, you can't deduct, uh, you know, your new boat. Uh, I don't know, maybe you get to deduct your new boat. That's not to say, though, the state doesn't sometimes mess up and the tax code punishes those doing good and rewards those with loopholes um, mm -hmm. who are who are doing evil. But this is the, the basic standard set down. And so the obedience to the state uh, is done because we recognize, uh, A, that God governs through it, but B, that it's good for our neighbor, right? It's generally good for the order of society. And here, this is maybe a timely thing to consider because you hear concerns people have now about uh, sometimes the, the, the threat of civilization is very thin. And you have times like this where people might get very tired of being told to stay home mm -hmm. or that they can't work. They might feel economically pressed. And unre civil unrest is not impossible to imagine. Now, I pray God it doesn't happen. But... It's good for our neighbor that we not have unrest, mm -hmm. or if unrest starts, that we have a government to stop it um, so that we don't have businesses burnt down, <clears throat> so that we don't have people injured, so that we don't have infrastructure harmed, so that the ambulance can't get to help the sick, per the sick person. <clears throat> and so um, this is the basic thing that, that God would have the, the state do. Mike talked about the two kingdoms, and, and that's just that we talk about then church and state or the uh, spiritual and the temporal uh, or the spiritual and the secular 
And and the church is then its claim is upon um, your your soul and your conscience, uh, your body too, and that it will be raised. Uh, but the the church is there to give you uh, the appeal of a good conscience before God through baptism. <clears throat> the the church is there to care for your soul and to bring it to eternity. The state is there simply to govern your body. The state does not have a claim on my soul. Should the church try to sh- should the state try to make a claim on my soul? It has now become a totalitarian state. Um, <coughs> and there, uh, <clears throat> Matthew 5, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or Acts 5, sorry. Uh, we must obey God rather, rather than men. Well, then that, that would apply. But the general disposition of the church should be obedience. And we see that too with these new requirements or suggestions or guidelines that have come down about how many people can gather, uh, which for many churches has meant we can't have in-person worship services. Well, I've heard some who say, now this is tyrannical. Mm -hmm. The state can't tell us not to worship. Yet at the same time, we recognize the debt of obedience we have to the state. And this is not the state persecuting the church. If that were the case, it'd be persecuting uh, bars and restaurants too, since it's limited things for them. Uh, The art museum uh, has not been persecuted. We recognize in this case, out of Christian love for neighbor, the attempt is to uh, stop over the overwhelming of our medical infrastructure, which would be bad for everyone. Now, should the state, if there were no pandemic, say we're banning worship services for the purpose of singling out Christians or religious groups as a whole, then we're talking about something different. Then Christian freedom must be um, upheld. Asserted. But in a way, though, that we also recognize the state still. So like a Dr. King, a Dr. King... Uh, practices, civil disobedience. But then he writes a letter from a Birmingham jail. He understands there's consequences and he's put in jail for it. Yet he also um, sees what is taking place in the United States as his time as being uh, inconsistent with justice. And so he takes a stand. There may be times that a Christian then according to conscience needs to do that. Um, but that's, that's we're not looking for that, mm-hmm. right? We're not seeking out ways to flout the state. Um, it'll become apparent when those times have come. Uh, and so Paul says, in the meanwhile, pay your taxes. Give honor to whom honor is owed. Um, and try to live peacefully and quietly within the civic realm. Uh, maybe we should hit just briefly. That doesn't mean that God has instituted either one set political system. Uh, Mike mentioned that Israel had a theocracy. Modern Israel doesn't have a theocracy. It's a, <coughs> a secular government. Um, although it has, Israel has very unique characteristics, mm-hmm. as Mike mentioned. I mean, it's definitely uh, Jewish parties that are, are ruling, which this is why we have debates about the mm-hmm. Middle East. Um, but uh, this doesn't mean that God has necessarily instituted that there be an imperial government or a republic or a monarchy or a democratic republic, uh, but it does mean that he operates within those governments. And that means that citizenship within different governments might look different. We are... Uh, from my perspective, and I'm guessing from yours, Mike, we're very blessed um, to live within the republic that we do, um, where we have enshrined rights, um, where we have the ability to vote um, and to freely express our opinions. Well, in that, citizenship might look a little bit different. Um, I, we might remove political leaders every four years or every six or two, depending on what office they're holding. And that's not an ungodly thing because that is how our government is set up. It's, it's we the people. 
So it's not rebellion to have a one-term president, right? Um, under a monarchy, that would be a very, a very different thing. What it looks to be like to be civically engaged under a monarchy or um, under a, a, you know, a constitutional republic like we have may look very different. But the general principle in both will remain, for the good of my neighbor, I will be obedient to the state so long as the state is not commanding me to do what God forbids or forbidding me to do what God commands. Um, so that will be the basic principle that Paul is laying down. And once again, under a government that was often rather hostile both to the Jews, um, and Paul was a Jew, and to Christians, and that had, by the way, sanctioned the killing of our God, which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> <coughs> which maybe says something, um, a word of caution, for you know when we get a little bit too don't tread on me in our mm -hmm. particular setting. Um, you know, there's, the U.S. government so far hasn't done anything like killing God. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean we ought not be be watchful. Anything else on Roman, the, the government part before we move on to uh, the fulfillment of the law through love? Yeah, just somebody, I, I just was looking at a, a story about a, a pastor who's defying the, uh, the CDC, uh, CDC rec regulations, but also the, the state's regulations and holding a worship service with a thousand people. And I'm sure he's playing, well, you can't, you can't go into my conscience and stuff like that. Uh, probably there's also a political thing there, right? Don't, don't, uh, don't uh, take away my freedoms and probably his political, I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing his political leanings take on a veneer of Christianity, right? But <clears throat> this is completely different, right? Um, if, if the government says for the sake of your neighbor and for the higher good, don't do this, we're not, they're not saying you cannot, you can't go in, they're not going into my conscience and telling me I can't believe something. Right. Now, if the government would say, for instance, in like a, a communist country of, 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 you know, the 20th century, you're not allowed to worship because we don't think then that you're going to be uh, loyal to the state. Well, then I have every, not only every right, but I have the duty to break that and still assemble. So, And that's, you know, a, a, a hardcore communist state is going to be an atheistic materialist, not materialist like a bad well sermons at Christmas, about, but <laughs> materialist like precluding the metaphysical. The, the Christian is going to be automatically kind of put there in a, a default position of civil right. disobedience. And. Like you said, sometimes we look for rebellion. Stop it, right? Um, this is about neighbor. This is about conscience. This is not about you, you trying to justify. You're not, you're not trying to be a hero here. Calm down. Um, and, and, you know, another tricky one is, you know, can the government tax a church? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, we're, He's telling the Roman church to pay taxes, to right. whom taxes are and owed. And we are very, uh, you know, blessed here in America, and I think there's good reasons to do this, and we should, I, I think, you know, I would fight for this, you know, if there, right. was a, there was a politician who said we should tax the heck out of every, every little church, I would say this is not good for our, our society. But if, if that was the rule of the land, okay, okay. Um, I don't have a right not to pay taxes just because I, I, I'm a church, that kind of thing. And so, uh, and the other thing too is sometimes we tend to pit uh, uh, commandments against each other. So, um, you know, I don't pit the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, go to church, with the fourth commandment, honor your father and uh -huh. mother includes the authority. Uh, that, that, that's not how it operates. And uh, 
there's just a little bit of like, let's stop being, there's real martyrs out in the world. We're not them. Yeah. Right. It becomes tricky though. I mean, how, how do you, when do you throw off a, when do you throw off the, the British monarchy if you're in America? Right. That's, that's, those are tough questions. Right. And, uh, I think you we always do. <laughs> you always do. Uh, we, we've had, we have a whole podcast on that one, right. Yeah, with Dr. Dr. Palmer. Palmer. Um, they were both royalists, if I remember. Um, I, I said he was royalist, kind of more convention. I was royalist because I'm a, a coward. Yeah, and I was a bad Christian, <laughs> a bad but Christian. I was a, a good rebel. Um, you know, there, there is there is something about, you know, freedom, you know, and, and the more freedoms a government takes away because we were made for freedom, I think there's a good way to fight for that. And, and if it does come, if, if the government does something illegal, then, you know, there is there is a right to to civil disobedience. I think you can make a case for that, but just to remember St. Paul, right. And, and here's the thing with St. Paul, you know, it's going to be all right because I'm a citizen of heaven, right? right? He, he's, he's not Philippians, he, you know, if I die, I win. If I live, I win. He's not putting notice that he's not putting his faith into a governmental system, whether it be the governmental system that already exists or right. what he would set up in his perfect world. And the, the temptation of that type of idolatry is strong. Just yeah, go on Twitter. Goodness. Like, you, okay, let's say all of a sudden America becomes a theocracy. That would be a very bad thing. Yeah, I would not right? like that. That would be a very bad thing. Because it would never be like a Lutheran theocracy. Lutherans would be terrible at theocracy. Yeah, yeah. It would end up being like a killjoy type right. theocracy. And. And it's also wrong because, again, you're going to mix law and gospel. The church should not be doing governmental work because it's in the realm of the law and the gospel is going to get lost. Or it's going to be anarchy because the government just forgives all debts um, because it wants to be the church. Uh, it wants to forgive. Um, <clears throat> but it's also a, a, a problem because we start to put our hope in man, right? We start to put our hope into what man can do. And if there's any lesson of the old and new Testament that is common in both, right? It is don't trust man, trust God. Don't trust yourself, trust God. And I mean, it's Melanchthon's statue, I think in Wittenberg, you know, do not put your trust in princes. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I will fight for my right to believe a fight for a free conscience. And yeah, I'll fight fight for my right to party (laughs) and to party and to, and to, uh, gather and to, um, you know, speak the, the free exercise of religion. But other than that, that is in my realm as a citizen, I make rational decisions, but I dare not exclude somebody from the church because they disagree with, Anything. I mean, you could, any kind of, I mean, they, you know, there's certain things like abortion or certain things like fairness and justice, but how to get about that. If someone has a different opinion about that, they're not excluded from the, from the kingdom. So we've gone too long on that. You, you... No, I think two quick things in line with that. Um, in line with all that Micah said, there are strong Christian arguments, uh, especially with a, in a democracy that we might voice that the fact that we are created in the image of God um, and that we are loved by a God who has given us life for all, this really is conducive to strong arguments for human rights, right? Um, the Christian can be a strong proponent for human rights uh, and and for not just um, basic human rights, but even rights like uh, we see um, privacy rights or things like this, you know, uh, 
there's a place for that. But at the same time, too, we'll also balance our assertion of our rights. Um, we will want to assert our, our rights in line with law, with love. So there may be a time where I assert my right precisely because it's for the good of society that I do so, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and in inserting my right, I'm standing up for my neighbor's right. There might be another time where I say this is not the time to assert my right. And so Paul is going to build up on this now, and he's going to talk about fulfilling the law through love. What does this look like? And... Uh, <clears throat> And notice, for Paul, it's always Christian freedom and Christian love being held in balance. But, Mike, I'll throw it to you real quick. He says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Um, why is love the fulfillment of the law? So if I fulfill the law without love, so uh, maybe I do it so I don't get in trouble. Maybe I fulfill the law so that I look like I'm a good person. If I fulfill the wall, the law to make God happy, if I fulfill the law to build my self-esteem, I haven't really fulfilled the law. I have really only done this for myself, basically. And so that would be selfishness, which would be the opposite of love, right? It would be a narcissism, even if it's subtle. So without lo love, then, then there's nothing. And so, And then when you get into the realm of law, you're not so much concerned about the details all the time. Right. Right. You know, like, um, and, and there's a certain freedom there. Um, you know, I'm not really concerned about, well, uh, kind of like rabbinical teaching can be this way. So post, uh, post new Testament, uh, rabbinical and it started earlier than that, but like, let's get to all the detail. How much can you do to or fulfill the canon law? law in the Roman canon church. law in the Roman Catholic church? Uh, certain regulations that you can find in Methodism. Lutherans can do it the Which same way too. Which is a lawyerly too. approach to service to neighbor. Yeah, and it may not just be like a written canon, like a written law, but it may be a cultural kind of thing. Like you just don't do this in the church yeah. kind of thing. And so contrary to that, Luther will say, we're going to venture all for our neighbor. Yeah. So if, 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 I need to break, if I need to do something that's a little bit maybe taboo or whatever, but it's for the love of neighbor, well, I'm probably fulfilling the law if i live in nazi germany and i'm hiding jews in my home and the gestapo comes and says are you hiding jews i may break the eighth commandment mm -hmm. i may lie mm -hmm. to keep the fifth commandment mm -hmm. and sometimes it's very hard for students to wrap their head around that sometimes you have to um if i have a member whose husband is every night getting drunk and putting a gun to her head i may tell her to leave that marriage mm -hmm. Well, what am I essentially telling her? Break the sixth commandment mm -hmm. to keep the fifth. Mm -hmm. You need to protect body and life. And there's just sometimes situations that are so messy, there's no way to get out of them without sin. And yet love sets us free to put our neighbor first. And so Paul will say that in verse 10, building off that, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. When I am set free by the gospel, I'm set free from this lawyerly approach to the law and this fear of perhaps getting a little bit messy mm -hmm. situations in a fallen world are, are often messy and Always so with Luther messy, yeah. I can venture all things in Christ and I can just see my neighbor and their need now this is not an excuse to sin mm -hmm. um, it just simply speaks to the fact that sometimes we're afraid to love our neighbor almost because we know it's going to be messy to do so um, or that you may be taken advantage of right Right. There's uh, a vulnerability. Yeah. And, and I, I like that because I, I just could 
even in seminary having discussions like, is it ever right to, to lie, to lie? No, it's always wrong to lie in any given situation. Well, okay. Yeah. That's when you say, Lord have mercy. (laughs) And I'm I'm doing this for a greater, but there might be times at the same time that it's a sin not to lie. Right. And so I am going to, I, at some point you, how do you determine that? Well, the answer is love, right? What neighbor needs my love the most right now? And, and that's what's so beautiful. Like you follow your conscience and you say, Lord have mercy. Yeah. And you're not, and because you're free from justifying yourself before God, then you can venture all things. You can sin boldly. And none of this is things. sinning for myself. No, this is all, and it's not purposeful sinning. Um, it's putting your neighbor first. So this is not an excuse for licentiousness. That's no, not and it's not in, in, or, or it's not an avenue to justify your sins, right? Well, I was really doing it because I, like I didn't, I didn't discipline my children because I wanted to love them. Well, that's actually was you're doing that for yourself. So you weren't the bad guy. Right. So uh, I think we can navigate this. It's, there's some messy situations, but I think we can all understand the, how, how to navigate this when, when we think about the highest good being love. Um, and then finally notice that Paul wraps up this section in verse 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire Notice he goes back to this image then of our justification of Christ's righteousness being our own. Um, think of elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about putting on the robe of righteousness. That This life of love is once again only possible uh, through the confidence of faith and through a righteousness that is uh, not internal to us. It doesn't um, derive from us, but is the gift of God through faith. So Paul keeps throwing in these reminders uh, lest we lose sight of the gospel that is the ultimate fount of love, uh, the perfect example of love, uh, and things like that. Mike, you got anything else on 13? No, I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Are we? Pretty good. I haven't checked today. Are we planning any insurrection later? No. Uh, no revolution? No. Okay. What if they, uh, what if they like, close down your favorite restaurant because of this? Um, <clears throat> I'm okay with that. What if they shut down your internet? Um, less okay with that. That may be the problem. The kids will be hard to deal with without the internet. That, that, I don't know why they would. I, if there would be a situ, I can't think of a situation where they would without there being a legitimate protest. What if they say everyone has to agree that Michigan State won the NCAA championship this year? Well, I've already, I've already claimed, I, I told you, I already claimed Michigan basketball, Michigan hockey, St. Louis Blues. Yeah. Hockey and Laker basketball. What about so. if they say we have to permanently shut down the St. Louis Cardinals? Um, <clears throat> again, I have, I have a hard time seeing why they would do it without a legitimate, uh, there would be some illegality that's going there. I mean, that's going into my heart. That's going into my right. conscience. What if the president decides to make the Houston Astros his new cabinet? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it would be <laughs> that that much of an improvement. <laughs> and then, like um, during the coronavirus uh, press conferences, you just hear like a drum banging. Yeah. Well, see, here's a, before I'd like to I'd like to say this that there's I was ahead of the curve on two things. Like I was disappointed with baby boomers well before we started saying okay, boomer. And uh, I don't like people getting on my bag wagon there on that one, especially my children who 
who say okay boomer to me it drives and me nuts when like, they call me a boomer i'm like you I'm have Gen no idea. X, like, like you have no idea what you're talking we, about. We we have had way more issues with the boomers than yeah. You know. You're just making it. You're just making the rest of us not like your generation. Right. Um, but um, I don't hate a lot of sports teams. I actually don't like even the rivals in the Big Ten. I will cheer for the the conference. Even right. Even Ohio State. I, even Ohio State. Like yeah, I, I can't do that. I I mean like I have no ill will against Urban Meyer. I I really don't. I I'm talking about my heart. There is. There are two teams that I legitimately don't want to do well, and that's Duke basketball. And well before, well before they were good or in the American League or cheating, and that is the Houston Astros. I've never understood this one, but yeah. It's mostly because of their 80s uniforms. Uh, and, and the dome, maybe? And the dome, and they were Cardinals rivals in the, in the late 90s and early uh. 2000s. All right, well, we got a little off topic, but uh, so no insurrection from us today that we know of. Um, we hope all of you are uh, doing the best you can in these challenges times. Uh, either I will see you again uh, through a camera lens for a video, or I will uh, be speaking with you again through a microphone for an audio session. Um, but do not be shy, students. If you have any questions, be uploading your notes. Email me if anything comes up. I'm happy to set up Zoom sessions um, if you want to talk anything through. And in the meanwhile, uh, in the love of Christ, which we display to neighbor, and under the blessing of secular government, even in these difficult times, let the bird fly.